from Judges 4. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud had died. So the Lord sold them to King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosherath of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord because Jabin had 900 iron chariots and he harshly oppressed them 20 years. Deborah, a prophetess and the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. She summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, deploy the troops on Mount Tabor, and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and Zebulonites? Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots, and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. I will gladly go with you, she said, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take, because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. Ten thousand men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now Heber the Kenite had moved away from the Kenites, the sons of Hobab, Moses' father-in-law, and pitched his tent beside the oak tree of Zananim, which was near Kadesh. It was reported to Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up Mount Tabor. Sisera summoned all his 900 iron chariots and all the troops who were with him from Harasheth of the nations to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord, the Lord gone before you? So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord threw Sisera, all his charioteers, and all his army into a panic before Barak's assault. Sisera left his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth of the nations, and the whole army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a single man was left. Meanwhile, Sisera had fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was peace between King Jabin of Hazor and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to greet Sisera and said to him, Come in, my lord, come in with me, don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. He said to her, Please, give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a container of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him again. Then he said to her, Stand at the entrance to the tent. If a man comes and asks you, Is there a man here? Say no. While he was sleeping from exhaustion, Heber's wife, Jael, took a tent peg, grabbed a hammer, and went silently to Sisera. She hammered the peg into his temple and drove it into the ground, and he died. When Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to greet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he went in with her, and there was Sisera lying dead with a tent peg through his temple. That day God subdued King Jabin of Canaan before the Israelites. The power of the Israelites continued to increase against King Jabin of Canaan until they destroyed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join with me in prayer. Father, again, uh, we remember how you say in Isaiah that the one you take delight in is the one who trembles at your word. And Lord, as we uh, listen to you, we don't want to miss the fact that you, the God of the universe, has chosen to speak to us and that your word is powerful. 
So, Father, please help us. Help us to hear. Help us to hear in such a way that we would be changed and made more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So as we begin, let me just start by asking a question. As you think of your own life, how would you describe it? Are you more inclined to pursue after what is good? Or are you one who's more inclined to try to avoid what is bad? To put it maybe more starkly, are you one who's more inclined to live by courage or live by fear? And if it's the second, why? I bring this up um, because as we encounter this section of Judges, beginning in 4, and it's actually chapters 4 and 5, or kind of one unit, um, we see a people who are dominated, dominated by fear. Um, once again, we, we, we have the familiar pattern, 4 introduces to us the same thing we've seen before. God's people do evil in the sight of God. They turn to idols, and now they are under the rule of Jabin. And, and the description of Jabin the Canaanite, that king, it, it speaks of how they, weigh, they are weighed down heavily by his oppression. It is miserable. And if we were to go to chapter 5, chapter 5, as I said, is the second part of this. It's actually a song sung by Deborah and Barak, the two key characters of our passage. And that song kind of gives us more details and illumines a little bit what's going on in chapter 4. And it describes the situation where it says, Villagers were so overwhelmed by fear that they wouldn't even go on main roads. I think the idea being that if they were on the highways where the Canaanite soldiers would be, they could be robbed, they could be beaten, or worse. Whatever chance the Canaanites had, they would bring the Israelites down. And so they just, in fear, tried to stay away from any major public place. But we're also told that the towns were lacking people of courage. Towns were lacking people who were willing underneath this oppression to even in some way seek to bring about resistance. There was not a warrior's spear or shield to be found. People didn't just kind of think, how do we stop this? But they just kept their head down. They don't want to get hurt. There was nothing but ongoing oppressive fear. And there are at least two reasons I think we're supposed to understand that this is going on. One, the more obvious one, is the nature of the military they were facing. While Jabin is the king, the real villain of this chapter is Sisera, whose, whose name already makes you feel like he's got like this mustache that sometimes he twirls, like sinister Sisera. I mean, he is someone who was feared, and, and feared not just because he was a great general, but because he had the latest military technology, 900 iron chariots. If you were in a chariot and others weren't, you could always keep away from the phalanx of guards and just shoot with arrows one after the other, never being touched until that phalanx of soldiers was just in disarray and then all of the chariots together could just charge through and mow them down. It was devastating. Militarily, they seemed invulnerable. So we can understand why there would be fear. But I think Deborah's song tells us there's another aspect to the fear, and that is they had turned away from God. They were pursuing other gods. They had decided that to put their lot in with the Baals and the Ashtoreths and these other gods that other nations worshipped. And, and while, yes, those gods seemed impressive, they seemed tangible, they seemed real perhaps in the moment, what they did not do in any way was offer the people of Israel 
So the entire idea that maybe they could resist, maybe they could overcome this oppressor was foreign to them. They had only hopelessness. They were living by fear. And so it's within this context, this miserable situation where you might say there was a famine of courage that once again God's people cry out. They cry out helplessly. And in response to that cry, God once again answers by raising up a deliverer, and he does so by way of a woman named Deborah. So our story really kind of begins here in this scene in, in verse 4. We can imagine an oasis amongst the hills of Ephraim in southern Israel. Right outside the village of Bethel, you have this crowd that's gathering, probably in the cool of the morning while it's still not too oppressive. And they're all kind of quiet listening because at the front of the line, sitting in a chair underneath a palm tree is, is a woman who is attentively speaking with whoever is first in line. Her her hair is gray, her face is wrinkled, and yet Deborah's eyes sparkle with life. Her, her voice is strong, and everyone is keenly seeking to understand what she is saying and, and, and kind of like listening to every word. At, at some point in Deborah's life growing up, something happened to her, something extraordinary. God spoke to her, directly to her to give words that were meant to be given to the people of Israel. And at some point, probably soon thereafter, the people of Israel recognized that this was taking place. And so soon there would begin to be a crowd who would come and seek direction as she was able to tell them what God said. Soon, day after day, they would come to the same place so often that they started naming the tree under which she sat very creatively calling it Deborah's Palm. And there she would sit day after day after day, giving them instruction. This is what God says you are to do. Reminding them of promises. This is what God has promised. She was meant to give courage. I, I say that because when, when Deborah, in her song in chapter 5, speaks of her own role, which she doesn't, she doesn't call herself a prophetess, though of course she is, she doesn't speak of how she's a judge, though that's true as well. When she speaks of her role, she says, In this famine of courage, I rose up a mother of Israel. That's Deborah's understanding of her specific calling. She is meant by God to be a mother to this people, a mother of a specific sort, a mother who seeks to raise up leaders of courage. How will she do this? How will she kind of raise up these children who finally will resist, will fight back? Well, the only way that courage truly is to be found through the Word of God. As she gives instructions, as she gives promises, as she gives God's Word, her calling is to bring leaders who will help overthrow the enemy. And so as our passage begins, we see that God, in response to these cries of Israel, has called Deborah to summon Barak. She, he has called her to, to raise up this person who is supposed to be a person of courage and leadership who will lead God's people. And so Barak, who is summoned from 40 miles away, he's way far north, the person comes, brings him back, he comes to speak to Deborah, and now we see the deliverer enter the scene. And we don't know much about Barak, what we do know is his name, and it's just, it's the perfect name for his job. His name literally just means lightning. So, 
quite literally, as, as Deborah is calling her, him to lead, lead an army, he will become Captain Lightning. I mean, this is like a superhero origin story in, in the moment. And, and so, of course, with the superhero, you ask, okay, if he is supposed to be the superhero of a deliverer, where is his power? Well, we see it in the words that Deborah gives to Captain Lightning. He says to her, hasn't, sorry, she says to him, hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go. Deploy the troops on Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and Zebulonites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. Do you see what, he is, what, what God is saying to Barak? There are two important things. God is giving him very specific instructions. You are to go and, and gather 10,000 troops to summon this massive army and to move to, to Mount Tabor overlooking this little stream in the flatlands of Kishon. That's your job. So he's been given instructions and he's also given God's promise. And I will hand him over to you. And if you understand this rightly, you realize this is where the power is to be found. When you, have, when you have God's instruction and you have God's promise, then you have every reason for courage. Right? I mean, when you have God's instruction, that means you know what you are supposed to do, what is good for you to do. When you have God's promise, that means you know that as long as you are seeking what God is seeking, then you will not be thwarted. Because if you have God's instruction and God's promise, then God is with you. There are so many times in the Bible we have moments like that, if you think about it. Um, work out your salvation with fear and troubling. This call to kind of live out the fact that we've been saved and to seek to obey in all things. There's the instruction. We know what we're supposed to do in some ways. And then, for it is God who is at work in you. God is promising he will work. We can be confident. Or, or when we're trying to, when we're desiring joy, we're told, delight yourself in the Lord. There's the instruction. We know what we're supposed to do. And he will give you the pleasures of your heart the desires of your heart. There, there's the promise. We can move with confidence. Go and make disciples of all nations. There's the instruction. And I will be with you till the end of the age. We can move with confidence. When we have God's instruction and we have God's promise, we have the promise of God's presence. And if God is with you, you are connected to a power that is beyond your imagination. And that, that is what we have here for Barak. And, and we are set up, you can e even sense, this is, this is the setup for a climactic battle, the kind of thing that like ends every Marvel film, right? Like God is saying at the very bottom will be Sisera and his chariots and all of the enemies, and at the top will be the underdog farmers, right? Because they're not really soldiers, but like 10,000. But then there's Captain Lightning who has this power of God's word who in the moment of need will bring him out deliverance. It's going to be awesome. Well, but there is this... Did you notice this one weird thing about what Deborah said in verse 6? 
Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? This is not a statement. This is, this is a question. Hasn't God already told you this? Deborah is saying to our Captain Lightning. Which implies that, that actually God has already spoken to Barak. God has already told him, here's what you are to do. Here is my promise. And so far, Barak isn't doing a single thing. So Deborah is summoning him to the principal's office to ask why that's not taking place. And yet, it's not hard to understand why that isn't taking place. There's this, this middle detail that when Barak heard it must have just, I mean, at least it would have freaked me out, where after he says, deploy the troops, then God says, then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots, and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you? I mean, can't you imagine Barak's like, wait, wait you're going to lure all of them? Couldn't you just lure them to run away? Or, or maybe even better, lure them to just kind of run off a cliff. That would be great. To lure all of that to fight, to fight against Barak and a bunch of, I mean, like, think of this. This is, the, this is the invulnerable military tech, all 900 chariots. These are trained soldiers who have conquered them. These Israelites are farmers with pitchforks. I mean, it's a suicide mission. Barak undoubtedly was feeling the tension that probably some of us are familiar with, maybe all of us are familiar with, the tension between hearing what God says and seeing something that feels very, very different. I mean, do you know that feeling where where God calls you, and there's some degree of clarity you have about what obedience is, and you might even have some sense of what His promise is, but when you look at your life and you see what it is you're supposed to be doing, it just doesn't, it's, it's hard for you to see how this could possibly end well. Or it's hard for you to see how God could actually be good if you seek to be faithful to Him. What you see is just so hard to get past. And let me suggest that is, in some ways, the heart of faith. That is the heart of where we find courage or we don't. Do we choose to believe what we see with our eyes? Or do we choose to let ourselves be moved by what we hear God say to us? This is a decision you and I face time after time. So as, as Deborah, as, as Mother Deborah confronts Captain Lightning with these words, how how does he respond? Well, it's complicated, isn't it? Verse 8, Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So let's just say this plainly. This is not a great answer. Right? It is, it, it's... It's never a good thing when God calls us to, to set conditions. God, I will obey if. Right? That's not how it works when we're talking about the God of the universe commanding and knowing what is best for us. And it's kind of odd, isn't it, what Barak demands? I mean, it's not like he assumes that, like, Mother Deborah is going to be kind of going to battle with him. Like, I don't know, bringing a palm branch and yielding it. Like, nothing is going to happen with that. The sense that you get, perhaps, is that, that Barak has the word of God, but it just doesn't feel real enough. 
He's kind of saying, Mom, I need you to go with me. If you are here, if you keep saying God's word, then that will be enough. But if not, I, I am going to fail. So on one hand, it is not the right answer. It is not the response of, of faith. God's word should always be enough on its own. And, and yet, I, there is a sense in which there's something right about it too, isn't there? Yes, he says, I need you to go with me. But notice he also says, if you go with me, I will go. To, to say that when you think about what he is imagining, what he is facing, it is a, a fragile faith. It is a weak faith. But, but there is faith. We might even say faith the size of a mustard seed that we see in Barak. And one of the, the treasures that I see in this passage, one of the comforting things I, I realize here, is, is, is the way that God in his kindness responds. Do you notice what Deborah says? On behalf of God, Deborah says, I will gladly go with you, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. Now, now notice what's being said here. Yes, Barak has clearly made the wrong answer. And yes, he will have to go through a lesson in which he is humiliated as he comes to realize that mistake. But notice he is not disqualified. Notice we still have the promise, yes, Deborah will go with Barak, and yes, God will bring salvation through Barak. And, and if you know the book of Hebrews, you know that as people are being listed as examples of faith in the New Testament, Barak is listed among them. Somehow his faith, as fragile as it is, God looks at it and recognizes the failing and yet is willing to receive it. There's something, I think, for any of us who feel like our faith is fractured and fragile, and who of us doesn't at times feel that way, to see this. So with that encounter over, we now move to, if we were, if we were filming this, this would be the time for the musical montage, right? You have, you have Barak moving from village to village, Deborah with him, and, and each town he has this inspiring kind of speech talking about what God has said and what God has promised, and, and you see people who before were beat down with fear, taking courage and starting to join, and as he moves from village to village, the, the, the people marching behind him get larger and larger and larger until you have this massive army, and finally as he's finished his mission and he moves, he, he camps out where he's supposed to with all of the army at the top of Mount Tabor, looking at that little stream and the flatlands below. But of course, in this montage, if we were to imagine the details, we'd also see that in the background, you see the Canaanite scouts looking, seeing, galloping back to Sisera. And Sisera now twirling his mustache, looking at the map and realizing that, that Barak has made a grave mistake. Because he has brought all of the fighting men possible to one place, to the top of Mount Tabor, where there is no possibility of retreat. And so if Sisera brings all of his might, all of his forces, all of the soldiers, all 900 iron chariots, Israel will be eviscerated for generations. Screen cuts to black. We move to the next scene. And we can only imagine, perhaps, as Barak sets up camp on the side of Mount Tabor, how he might be now feeling a certain degree of encouragement because he has seen people respond in a way that has surprised him. He has perhaps recognized that God has been with him. And as he goes to sleep in that night, he, he begins to realize this, this is really happening. But then he wakes up in the morning. 
He stretches, he gets out of the tent, he looks down the valley, and suddenly all of the courage, all of the strength just dissolves, and his knees start shaking as he sees below him thousands upon thousands of soldiers in formation, 900 chariots. And though he's known in his mind the size of Sisera's army, he has never seen it like this before, and he just already feels defeated. But even as he's starting to kind of ask himself, what have I done? What am I doing? You can imagine from behind him the voice of Deborah who's looking over his shoulder, looking at the same thing, and once again giving him exactly what he needs, giving him God's word. Deborah says in verse 14 to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has handed Sisera over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone before you? Here it is again, the instruction, go. The promise, this is the day the Lord is giving. And even this amazing statement, and God is going before you. And to Barak's great credit, in this moment, where there is every reason in the world to fear what he sees and where it must be incredibly hard to trust what he hears, he allows God's word to be what sways his soul. He he sends word to all the commanders to get ready, and in a certain moment, he yells and he charges, and the 10,000 people follow behind him right down the mountain, as it says at the very end of verse 14. So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Here is courage for Captain Lightning. Now, verse 15 gives us a very succinct description of what happens next. Thankfully, chapter 5 in the Song of Deborah opens it up for us and helps us to understand a little bit more about what's going on. We can imagine as these 10,000 are are traveling, maybe it's like 200, 300 yards down the hill, as they are surging, a different surge happens that no one expected. Sleepy little Kidron River suddenly becomes like a tsunami. There is a flood through the river that surges like no one has ever seen. White water everywhere crashing beyond the banks. And, and as they're running, they're watching and seeing this thing that is clearly a miracle. And they're seeing many of Sisera's troops and even some of the chariots being swept by the river. And then as the river surge kind of calms down, down as they're still running, they realize that every chariot now is stuck in the mud and completely unable to move. And Barak must have in that moment been utterly awestruck and, and recognized finally what Deborah meant when Deborah said, God is going before you. And in that moment, they charge It says, as we see in verse 15, it says, The Lord threw Sisera, all his charioteers, and all his army into a panic before Barak's assault. They are utterly routed. They are in disarray. No one can do anything. They don't know what to do. They start fleeing. Meanwhile, the 10,000 just comes and just mows them down, utterly victorious, beyond anyone's understanding of what possibly could have happened. Because here's the thing. When you have God's instruction, and when you have God's promise, When God is with you, you are connected to a power that is greater than you possibly can imagine. So what happens to Sisera? Brave, mighty, sinister Sisera. What is he doing? Is he now, as he's facing these things, gathering his troops, trying to kind of organize them either for a counter-assault or at least an organized retreat? Well, 
Not exactly. Uh, verse 15, we see that, that brave, mighty Sisera heroically uh, leaves his chariot and runs away on foot. See, whatever sense of self he had, whatever sense of confidence he had in his greatness, we said that when you have God's word, when you have God's presence, when you have God's promise, you have every reason for courage. When you know God is against you, you have no reason for courage at all, only fear. And, and Sisera, in that moment of seeing what has happened, is completely undone. And so, coward as he is, he, he runs away. He finally finds a camp that he knows is, is not just friendly to Israel, though it's friendly to Israel, but also to him. And and out comes this woman from one of the tents, Jael, whose, whose loyalties we will discover in just a moment. And, and you can just imagine, like Sisera is like this, this, this frantic animal just looking around for wherever the possible danger is. And, and notice Jael basically tries to soothe him like he is an animal. Like, come in, come in, my lord, come in with me, don't be afraid, it's, it's going to be okay. And, and, and Sisera decides that it's probably a good idea to be protected by this nice lady. So he, he kind of goes into the tent, and you can just imagine he's kind of collapsing on the ground, maybe in like a fetal position, and, and, and Jael comes and takes a nice blankie, and you know, just covers him up, and, and as he starts to kind of maybe come to himself, he's like, I'm, I'm a little thirsty. And, and Jael opens up some soothing milk, here, this will make you feel better. And, and it does, and, and it, it talks as, as Jael once again tucks him in, like, you know, he once again has this blanket, he, he finally remembers, oh yeah, I'm a commander, I think I'll command. And, and he tells Jael, okay, could stand, stand outside the tent, and if someone comes and asks you, is there a man in the tent, say, there is no man in this tent, which is kind of true, right? And, and so Jael, I'm sure, recognizes the irony of this moment, Jael doesn't say anything, he finally just starts falling asleep. Here, here we have, not, it's not sinister Sisera, it's spineless Sisera snoring as his soldiers are being slaughtered. And, and, and so Jael goes to the tools, finds a hammer, finds one of the spent, spare tent pegs, just tiptoes to snoring Sisera, takes the tent peg, raises it right above his temple, and with one gigantic swipe of the hammer, drives it three inches into the skull, two more pounds, and it's going all the way into the ground. And, and with some degree of um, understatement, we're told at the very end of verse 21, and he died. A few hours later, Barak, who has been searching, knowing that he still needs to find Sisera before the victory is complete, comes to the camp, and once again, jail comes out. And once again, Jael tells him to come into the tent, which probably should make him a little bit nervous, but for no real need, actually. Because he, she says, come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. And that idea of show you, I think, alerts us that this is another moment of revelation. The first one happened as he charged down, as he saw what it meant that God goes before him. But once again, he is going to be shown something important. He walks into the tent, and literally it says, Behold, there was Sisera lying dead with a tent peg through his head. And in that moment, as Barak is looking at the person who was the source in many ways of all of his fears, as he's looking at the reason that he said at first, 
no, because he couldn't imagine possibly beating this, this coward. Two things I think are clear to him. One, that he should not trust what he thinks he sees because so often there are things that are so different from the way they appear. And two, he always, always, always should have confidence in the word of God. Because whatever God says, even if it's something like this mighty soldier, this mighty general will fall at the hand of a woman, it's always what comes true. If you hear God's word rightly, you have everything you need for courage. Let me ask again, um, do you find yourself to be more prone to live by fear or by courage. Forgive me for making the, the, the obvious connection, but it's important to make at this moment. Um, Barak is not the only person God has addressed in this fashion. And Deborah is not the only means by which God has spoken. God has spoken to you in a way far greater than through Deborah, through Jesus, his son. And he has given you instruction. Jesus has said, believe in me. Follow me. Trust in me as your king. And he has given us his promises. I will forgive your sins. You will be children of God. God will work all things for your good, for your salvation. And everything will be all right. And you will be made whole. And all will be good. When you have God's instructions, that means you know what you're supposed to do. When you have God's promises, you know that you will not be thwarted because God's promises always come true. When you have God's instructions and you have God's promises, you have all you need for courage because God is with you. And if God is with you, who can stand against you? If the Lord goes before you, and in Jesus, he has. He has gone before us to beat sin, to beat death, to destroy our guilt, to destroy Satan. If the Lord goes before you, do you not have every reason for courage? Where in your life are there areas where you continue to be shaped more by fear than by faith? Where is it in your life right now where what you see is more powerful in the way you live than what you hear from God? Wherever that is, God invites you even now with whatever fragile faith you have to come to acknowledge that, to seek to be changed and to place your confidence in the God who speaks to you and who is with you. Would you please join with me in a time of prayer? Let's spend some time just in quiet confession and acknowledgement of where we do live not by faith. And let's turn to God knowing that he is the one who will forgive.